You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren. Today we have Michelle Fallon, one of our favorite guests and friends of the podcast, back on today. She is the founder of Concepts Institute, and today we're going to focus the episode on forgotten areas of the face and body and have Michelle dive into the physiology behind that and some treatments we can do to address those areas. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks, ladies. Good to be back. Good to be here today, as usual. Great to have you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So, Michelle, when it comes to different areas of the face and body, let's start with perhaps the eye area. Why do you think that area is special and something we need to treat a little bit differently than other areas of the face? Yeah, so I think a lot of us, a lot of us estheticians, when we do facial treatments, um, often we think to just sort of include the eye area in the regular facial and treat it a lot like the the skin of, of the facial area. And although, yes, it is the, the skin of the facial area, it is a lot different than, let's say, the, the forehead or the cheek area or even the neck area. The eye mm. area skin is so much thinner than the facial area. Um, it lacks oil glands. It doesn't have the same amount of oil glands than the rest of the face. So it tends to become very dry easily, not just dry in a way that it lacks oil, which it does lack oil um, compared to the rest of the face, but it also tends to lack water. So of course, you know, when you're lacking oil, you're lacking the lubrication of the skin. And when you lack water, you're lacking hydration. So this area tends to lack both of those things. Um, it's also um, being much thinner, you know, it also has a thinner fat pad. So it doesn't, um, you know, it's not as nice and plump, or I should say it doesn't stay as nice and plump as the rest of the face does over time until, of course, we get, uh, you know, much older. So there, mm. there are treatments uh, for the eye area, I think, that, um, you know, could be done and should be done um, differently than we treat the, the rest of the face. Yeah, for me, I know around my area, that's the first area of the face I noticed fine lines and wrinkles and just the, the signs of aging starting to appear. Yes, and I think for most of us too, you know, we, we smile a lot and we get the crow's feet. Um, we tend to rub our eyes a lot and that causes a right, lot of irritation. Right. 
Um, you know, even sometimes sleeping, if you sleep on your front side, whether it be the right side or left side, and I've noticed this with my own eye area and my own face over time, because I tend to sleep more on the right side of my, my face and kind of crunches up the eye area. And I notice that there's a lot of loss of elasticity, both under my orbital bone and around the eye area that I don't have as much on the left side of, of the face. Um, so maybe that can, you know, at least it's a lesson for me to try and as much as I can, I know it's hard, but to sleep um, on my back maybe a little bit more or, um, you know, or lift, tilt the head a little bit more than uh, just sleep on one side of your, you know, your body the whole night. I've actually heard JLo sleeps on her back with just surrounded by pillows so she can't <laughs> she can't roll over so yeah oh, that's, that's a note a great, to self <laughs> that's a that's a great idea um also a mention um about the uh, fat pad you know around the eye area especially the the lower area in that tear trough area um over time it starts to break down and you probably notice some of the uh, the puffiness mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the disposition of fat that happens as we get a little bit older. And that's because that area is so thin and, it, and it's it's used so much, you know, for sight and, you know, we rub our eyes, we, we wear glasses, we wear sunglasses, uh, we have allergies and for a variety of reasons that the eye area is uh, prone to aging a lot faster than the, the rest of the face. Some say by seven, seven to 10 years faster. Wow. Yeah. And we wear makeup, we cry. And I know a big complaint from many of my clients, since like you said, Michelle, that area is so thin and delicate. People can start to see little milia popping up from using perhaps an eye cream that's too oil rich for that thin skin. What are some treatments you would recommend for combating signs of aging around the eyes? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things to look for when you look at the eye area. You know, one is definitely the expression lines, you know, from, from smiling, um, even between the, uh, you know, eyebrows sometimes from, from frowning or from squinting. And so lines tend to, or expression lines rather than the, the true rytides that we usually don't, um, you know, acquire until we we're much older, but anyone can develop expression lines there. So that's some of the first signs of aging next to, of course, the dehydration, which makes the skin look a little bit less um, plump. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't have the same volume when it starts to lack hydration. And then we also tend to hold a lot of edema in that area. You know, get puffy eyes, especially, you know, you sleep, you sleep at night and you wake up and all of the lymph kind of just sits in the facial area and especially um, accumulates around the eye area because it's so thin. And so years of having that accumulation of edema actually does tend to stretch the tissue and um, causes some loss of elasticity over time. So you start to notice sort of the sagging. If you pinch the, the eyelid and it kind of sticks, the, you know, stays in place and doesn't bounce back as quickly, you're noticing that some of the, the elasticity of the eye area is starting to, to degrade. And then probably what you notice later on, um, you know, in both men and women, especially women that go through menopause, is some um, loss of muscle too, where the skin really 
um, not the skin, but the muscle also starts to, to sag a little bit around the eye mm. area. And that's, that always comes a lot faster than, than the rest of the face in, in most cases. And I was mentioning too the, the fat pad, the way that, you know, we have the epidermis, of course, we've got the dermis, and then we have the subcutaneous layer underneath that. The rest of the face, facial area, there's usually a thicker, a thicker fat pad. The subcutaneous layer is, is thicker, but in around the eye area, it's not. And so as that starts to degrade and, and you look at someone who has a, that issue going on, it starts to become very lumpy. Now, have you seen that before mm -hmm, where the, the under mm -hmm. eye area starts to become very lumpy? Mm -hmm. It's not as smooth anymore. Yes. So there are a couple of different treatments you can do in the clinic to help um, kind of slow down the hands of time and prevent some of these issues from occurring too quickly. Do you want me to go yeah, over some of yeah. them? Okay. So as far as the hydration, um, I know a lot of us like to use hyaluronic acid, which is, which is a great hydration. I think people who have a lot of edema around the eye area normally, like myself, if I use products that contain too much hyaluronic acid because it's such a wonderful binder of water and it collects water from the air, I tend to get really puffy eyes. So you want to make sure, you know, that your client doesn't, um, have the issue of, of severe edema around the eye area if you are going to use products with hyaluronic acid. Some hyaluronic acid's fine, it's actually great, you know, it helps to bind water. And then products that contain some natural oils. You probably want to see these ingredients closer to the bottom of the ingredient label. You don't want them, like you said, you know, you don't want to see melia there. And because as we get older and the skin, um, doesn't naturally exfoliate quite as well, we do start to build up a lot of the melia around the eye area. So products that contain natural oils for the lubrication, but not, not a great deal of oil. You know, small amounts of oil found in a product would be fine. Um, lymphatic drainage, of course, you know, that's one of my favorite things to do is lymphatic drainage is great because mm -hmm. it helps to move the extra fluid, that, that abundance of fluid away from the eye area pushes it back into um, the lymph vessels, which then takes it back to the terminus where it belongs. And when you do lymphatic drainage, you can see the eye area swelling just um, disappear, you know, right before your eyes. It, it gives it this really nice kind of a tone look and less puffy, less edema ridden. So that's a great thing to do if you know how to do lymphatic drainage and you can add that into some of your eye area treatments. Um, other things would be like pressure points for, for those of you who know how to do pressure points, which helps to really release a lot of um, built up energy, which can kind of create sort of a, a pressure and a stress in the area. At the same time, the pressure points help to attract a lot of blood to the area and increases the circulation. You know, it helps to feed the area with um, blood, which is carries oxygen, nutrients, and uh, water. And those are just a couple of things to do. Of course, if you have a a client who has some, not just skin flaccidity, but also muscle flaccidity, um, treatments like microcurrent, which in a lot of states we're allowed to do as estheticians. And that doesn't just help to stimulate uh, the fibroblasts in the skin. And it also does um, act as a you know, a lymphatic drainage um, as well, if you do it correctly, but it also helps to trigger the muscle, which which helps to tighten the muscle, the, the superficial muscle over time. So some of the 
saggy muscles around the area can get a little lift too without actually needing to have a, a full facelift, especially if you start these things early. Yeah, I know we talked about microcurrent previously with you, Michelle, and some of the options for professional but handheld devices like the new face that can stimulate that muscle and thus diminishing the look of wrinkles, would you say, or um, strengthening the muscles? Yeah, so a lot of the professional and non-professional machines out there today, um, the, the microcurrent um, modality is great for sending um, a charge into the tissue, which helps to then recharge skin cells. I Sometimes I explain it like, um, you know, if you're cell phone battery or your, your cell phone is dead and you need to um, you need ele electricity right you need to plug it in and it's that transfer of your electricity into to battery energy but when you use and, and of course then it recharges your cell phone but when you're using microcurrent on the skin it's it's similar to that in a way that it helps to stimulate the fibroblasts in the dermal layer of skin to produce collagen elastin and glycosaminoglycans which helps to bind water um, it actually does help to trigger the muscle, uh, or I should say the nerve, to trigger the muscle in that specific area to help tighten the muscles over time. So you actually get some true tightening of muscle. So it's not just skin, but it's, it's muscle as well. And then the microcurrent, if you use it um, in, in a special way, it can also help to eliminate a lot of the edema in the area and push that edema out of that area and really bring down the swelling in, in that specific area. And also on top of that, the microcurrent can increase circulation and it acts as sort of a, a phoresis, an electrophoresis, which uh, helps to infuse certain ingredients deeper into the tissue. So it's a really good um, multifaceted modality. So kind of, um, you know, a question about the eye area, but something a little different. Um, I, you know, we all hear this question about people who have dark circles and mm -hmm. I tend to have a difficult time answering questions about dark circles because, you know, it just is so dependent on what's causing them. So I'm curious what your thoughts are and how you would go about treating a client who, um, suffers from dark circles. And that's a really good, um, question. And we get that a lot, both from the, um, you know, like the, the clients, the patients, and also a lot of the esthetician students. And I do have a class too that just solely focuses on the eye area. But yes, that's a good question. So when you look under the eye area, especially in the tear trough, and you see that darkness, um, sometimes that can be, and often it is a result of an abundance of hyperpigmentation there, especially in your Fitzpatrick, like fours, fives, and sixes, the different, or excuse me, the, the darker skin types. Um, you'll see a, an abundance of hyperpigmentation there. If you were to take a lamp, let's say like a, a woods lamp, you know, you put the client's goggles on and then you look under the woods lamp, you'll notice if it is true hyperpigmentation, it will be a lot darker. You, you, that a woods lamp will project and it will be a lot darker. Now, if you look under the woods lamp, um, and there are other skin scopes that do this too, and it's not a lot darker, then you want to take a closer look at the tear trough. And it might just be venous blood, which is sometimes a backup of blood flow, where the, the blood that flows through the area, um, you know, 
can be a bit stagnant. That can happen if you are someone who maybe has like a lot of eye strain, uh, wear glasses, sinus problems, TMJ, and mm-hmm. then you kind of see like a blueness, you know, it's more blue than, than actually mm-hmm. brown. And then you'll think, okay, and, and it might even be a little puffy too, you know, a little edema ridden. Then you'll feel like, okay, well, this is probably more of just sort of a stagnation of those little capillaries that move through this area. And what could be really helpful for this is lymphatic drainage. If it's true um, edema or if it's, you know, if it's more of a, um, a vascular issue rather than a a hyperpigmentation issue. But if it's a hyperpigmentation issue, there are um, creams and serums out there that are specifically made for the eye area that contain ingredients, uh, melanogenesis inhibiting ingredients, you know, brightening ingredients that you can Mm -hmm. use in that area that will actually suppress the melanocytes a little bit and help to brighten that area. Of course, again, it has to be made for the eye area because that's such a sensitive area. but other ingredients, you know, for brightening, like ascorbic acid or some of the chemical peels, we don't we don't really use those too close to the to the eyes, to the eye area. So you would say more so when you're treating the under eye area, um, you would stick more to serums, eye creams. Um, are there any specific like eye masks that you would recommend? Like what about those gel pads that are becoming super popular? Do you, would you recommend those in any capacity? Yeah. And it depends really on what the active ingredients are. So if you want kind of a brightening of the skin, you probably want to look for the masks that contain more of the brightening agents, the melanogenesis inhibiting agents. Um, If you are looking at maybe dry skin, rough skin, then you want to look for ingredients. You want to figure out, you know, are they water dry or are they oil dry? Most people are are both. And we could talk maybe about how to, to, to differentiate. Um, but if they're more water dry, then definitely the um, eye masks that contain hyaluronic acid, possibly if it's not, um, if the client, you know, doesn't typically have a lot of edema in the, that area. Um, masks that are for a lot of, you know, tiny expression lines, or maybe we all lack oil in the area, looking for masks that have some natural oils, a small amount, but natural oils would be good. Um, soothing masks uh, to help uh, diffuse some of the, the swelling in the area. That, that would be, yeah, so masks definitely in a facial um, during the, the facial part of it when you're treating the face and you are applying a mask to the entire face would be a really good time. What I usually do with a lot of my clients and our patients is that during the masking, I'll clear the eye area and then I'll work on the eye area for about 10 to 15 minutes. And definitely one of the things that I do at the end of that treatment is I'll use a mask, an appropriate mask. Oh, wow. That really makes me miss facials with you, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's never too late to have a facial. (laughs) I know. As soon as this is over, you're going to be my next stop. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I have a question kind of just to play devil's advocate because I know some of my clients have asked, and I know you've said you wouldn't recommend this, but my clients have asked if they can just use their vitamin C serum that has, say, L-ascorbic acid or use their retinol serum they're already using around the under eye area. Would you strongly oppose that? 
Um, it really depends on what the manufacturer says. Some companies will tell you it's okay to use it on the face, neck, and around the eye area. So you really want to look okay. at, you know, that factor. Um, and, and if it's, that's okay with them, it's usually okay. Now, if a client uses it and it's creating a lot of, you know, watery eyes and swelling and irritation, I probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, it really depends on how the product is manufactured. A lot of the, the creams that are meant to be used, serums too, that are meant to be used around the eye area, they're pretty gentle. So they've tested it on quite a few, you know, many, many, many people. And th that's usually okay. Okay. Okay, great. Maybe we can sort of start moving down the face. I feel like we could talk about the eyes for a whole episode alone, but just yeah. <laughs> so we address some of these areas of the body that people forget about or are often neglected. How about say like the lips for an example, because that's another area that gets a lot of abuse from straws or just drinking, laughing, maybe smoking cigarettes, those kind of things. Maybe we can talk about some some treatments and way to kind of limit that abuse around the lip area. Okay, do you mean um, a, more around the lip or right on the lip? Like right, both. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever you think. So yeah, that is a really big area I know for a lot of my clients. Um, and even if they don't smoke, smoke or um, they you know, never have, sometimes just the way that they move their mouth, you know, that obicular mm -hmm. or, or uh, muscle there, they move their mouth. I notice it creates a little lines both on top and below the lip area. Um, mm -hmm. And so that is an area that we want to focus on with, um, you know, with some exfoliation that, that's around the lips and not, not on the lip, but with some exfoliation, um, maybe even some really light chemical peels there, very gentle chemical mm. peels there to, to stimulate fibroblasts. Of course, lots mm. of hydration. Um, massage is always good to increase circulation to that area. Um, so yeah, depending upon what's going on, I would definitely, and if they don't have any contraindications for my own personal clients, the lip area, definitely focus on with the, the peels, sometimes even the microdermabrasion or kind of going back and forth. You know, one month you do a peel and the next month we do a microderm, especially if the lines are a little deeper, we could do a, you know, a microdermabrasion. And I know in, and with some of the estheticians in other states, especially that I work with that are allowed to use the microneedling that I not know in California, yeah. the estheticians aren't, but in other states where they can use microneedling, Microneedling is actually phenomenal for that area because it does a, a great job at, um, you know, affecting the dermis or the deeper layers of the epidermis and stimulating the fibroblasts into really plumping that area up. Okay, great. Maybe we can move on to the neck and decollete area. I know yeah. te tech neck is a big thing from people looking down at their phones. Yeah, I have it, you guys. I have a line <laughs> in the middle of my neck that bothers me so much. Me so this is like a very selfish question for me, but I am excited <laughs> to hear what you recommend, Michelle, for tech neck. <laughs> so did you um, did you just recently, Lauren, start to develop this line that that you're talking about on your neck, or has it been there a little while? Is it progressively getting worse? I feel. I feel like I've had it for a long time, but I feel like in the last like six months, it's gotten, it's definitely gotten worse. 
Oh, okay. And have you been doing more of the computer and the, you know, just looking down? Well, of course, we all look down at our clients, but just <laughs> doing more computer work and phone and things like that. Yeah, totally. Way more. Yeah. And I think most people today, you'll notice even in some of the younger kids, like by the time they reach their teen years or like 20 years old, they start to develop, they're called the Langer's lines, which are the horizontal mm -hmm. lines, right? That's the one you're talking about, the horizontal lines. Um, they start to develop these Langer's lines um, on the neck area. So this is an area, because I know it's so hard, for we all are looking down at our phones and our computers. And as estheticians, right, we're always looking down at, at our, on our client's skin. So mm -hmm. that's where we really want to focus a lot on the neck area. Um, some of the things I mentioned before, some of the modalities like, you know, microcurrent and those kinds of things are great, but then also just doing massage, you know, when you, every morning you can have the, the client themselves apply a little bit of a nurturing massage oil, um, to their neck and then do hand over hand rolls up the neck to increase the circulation to increase the blood circulation. I wish you could see what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and then, and then also when you get up to like right below, like right at the chin area, right? You can give it like a little, if you could hear me, you can give it a little, Whoa. yeah, actually like a, a tapping, uh, a pretty, not a super, you don't want to, you know, beat your client, have your client beat themselves up and be bruised, but a kind of a um, semi-aggressive tapping. And what happens when you do that is that the muscles, they don't like it that much. So the muscles will contract a little bit to sort of escape that, you know, that, that tapping. And it almost like gives them a workout. It helps to wow. sort of tone that area. It's, it's kind of an old school way of doing things. They used to, you know, going way, way back, but you know, it really does. It really does work. I have a client of mine who had a whole series of microcurrent and then at home, she does her homework and she does her, I call it slap potment instead of tap potment. <laughs> and she'll roll up her neck and then just, you know, right under the chin, give it a couple of, and she said, you know, it really, it, I feel the circulation and I feel the toneness. So the muscles will contract a little bit temporarily, but they'll still contract. And that's, that's a good thing. They'll kind of work out. And then you're also stimulating fibroblasts. But then again, mm. we have to remember, we don't want to hit too hard, <laughs> no bruising, but it's kind of, I, I, like, I wish I could show you, but, um, <laughs> but sort of that you kind of get like that, that slap, but not to where it's painful. <laughs> right. That, right. Yeah. That would be good. And then, um, other products, you know, products that contain, I'm sure you use great products, products that contain uh, polypeptides, um, hexapeptides, mm -hmm. um, you know, DNA repair ingredients is, is great too. And then micro, um, microdermabrasion, you could either do, you know, once a month or cl client can do once a month or however the manufacturer recommends with the product, or they can do a microdermabrasion, either a peel or a microderm once a month to help to soften the lines. But it's, that is really a tough mm -hmm. thing to treat because, you know, we continuously, it's something that we, we are not going to stop doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You shouldn't feel bad about it, Lauren, because we all right. have them. And it's yeah, we just, all have them. It's just, I know. Well, I like, I sit on the couch and I hold my phone way up <laughs> so that I try not to really, make it. That is really good. And if somebody can create like a device that doesn't, you know, it doesn't asphyxiate us, but that just kind of keeps that skin under there. So we had a little taut while we're kind of bending our heads down. That would really be... Oh 
perfect. <laughs> okay, we got to figure that out. This yeah, is a that, business idea. Nobody take this be, from us. <laughs> right, that would be perfect. But I know that's hard and young kids yeah. are developing the language lines too. So those mm-hmm. things do help though. We've, we've okay. practiced them for a while. Yeah. So what, so what about breakouts on the neck? Um, I'm seeing this more frequently in people that, um, you know, are a little older and they get breakouts either down the sides of the neck or in the middle. Part of me wonders, is it because of, um, the same thing, looking down at our phones and our computers, just creating those creases? What do you think about breakouts on the neck? Are they different than the face or are they going to be a similar cause? Yeah, um, often when you have breakouts, the breakouts can be anywhere. In general, about ninety to ninety-five percent of your breakouts will be if you're if they're ongoing. If it's an ac- an actual type of uh, acne vulgaris, most of the time it's an imbalance of androgen. But you're right on the neck area is if it's just on the neck area and it's no place else, and it's something that they develop later on in life, it could be from you know it could be from friction, um, it could be from product. Um, it could be from an androgen imbalance. So there, you know, there are various things that c- can trigger it. But I know it's also a harder area to treat too. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to use, a, you know, a lot of high frequency on the neck area because it stimulates the thyroid, which can not be such a good thing. If you're, if you are, you know, an esthetician and you are using for your client high frequency on the neck area, you want to actually pull the skin away from the neck you know, like pull it away from the thyroid gland in the neck and spark it. And then that high frequency increasing oxygen will will help to kill the bacteria there. Um, doing very gentle uh, exfoliation like, you know, enzymes at home a couple times a week or going into the clinic or spa once a month and having light peels will be helpful. Um, and sometimes it's even people's hair product I found. I call it like a pomade mm. acne. And then it could be from mm. different products that we use in our, um, you know, hair care products that we use and that the hair is sitting sort of there on the neck area. So, yeah, there, there can mm-hmm. be. Do you, do you see this pretty often in, in your practice? I do. And, and sometimes myself, I break out on my neck and I just think, you know, I can't, I, I do, I tend to be a hormonal, um, breaker outer, if you will. Um, so I figured it was, you know, related to that. Yeah. And that can be, you know, 90, mm-hmm. 90 to 95% of the time, um, the docs will say it's a, a hormonal imbalance, but yeah, I do have clients that just start breaking out for no reason. And you always want to sit them down and kind of be a detective and investigate like, mm-hmm. what have you been doing? What are you taking? What are you applying? And sometimes I find if they change a hair care product or they're using something new styling gel in their hair and it just sits on the neck, it can cause a lot of congestion too. So for the, you know, for people to be cognizant of that is good. Right. One, one other thing I've noticed with clients who break out there, a lot of times they're people who love their workouts. And I know that you're pretty active, Lauren, so it could just kind of be, I don't know, sweat and debris, bacteria mm-hmm. on the neck right. area, or just because it is such a forgotten area, maybe not spending as much time as you would on the face. I think the neck is sometimes something we just kind of forget about and we don't pay as much attention to. Right. Yeah, and after workouts and things like that, you know, to have your client clean the area again, maybe tone the area, uh, pull their hair. If it's, you know, the person has long hair, pull the hair back, try to keep the hair off of the, the neck 
that's usually helpful. Of course, in the, the salon or the clinic environment, you know, utilizing high frequency as long as it's not right on the thyroid and or blue LED, as long as you're protecting the thyroid, those two modalities are really helpful and can help to calm the breakdown, uh, breakouts down. One last question I have in terms of the neck area is kind of related to, I don't know if you guys have seen those little like red rings, if you've ever used retinol in the, in that area, kind of just from the over exfoliation. Michelle, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, what is the level of sensitivity on the neck compared to the face? Oh, for retinol. Yes. For retinols, yes, like 10 times um, more sensitive. They, it can. It is an area that can really become sensitized easily. Yeah. Um, I was talking about this the other day, actually, interestingly enough, with an esthetician about how a lot of us here in in America, in the U.S., you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the U.S. Um, estheticians tend to want to exfoliate, exfoliate. We're always exfoliating, and then you see estheticians from other countries, and not so much. They're more about nourishing the skin, and so there's right. this balance between the exfoliation where it's just enough, but not too much, and then also nourishing. But yeah, I, I've seen that where someone overuses a retinol product and the skin becomes really thin and there's a lot of erythema. And I think it's good to think in terms of moderation, you know, not over overusing it. And if you do get a lot of erythema there, a lot of redness to cut down on the product until that sensitivity goes away. Because even though retinol products, um, similar to Retin-A, which is a medication, but even your retinol products, um, turn, you know, turn the skin over. And if they're strong enough, they can stimulate the fibroblast in the dermis, but they can also seriously thin out the epidermis, which in mm-hmm. time can make the, the skin more aged. Because if you mm-hmm. don't have that you know, barrier there, the sun over time will age the skin even more so. And you can also develop solar lentigo, the brown spots from over exfoliation. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up because I think oftentimes people point the thinning of the skin due to retinols. They point that out as kind of a myth, but it, it's really interesting you're pointing that out and saying it, it can occur if you're overdoing it. Yeah, so so the 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 theory is is that retinols and retin A and other vitamin A derivative products is that they that they stimulate because cells can communicate with cells. So the cells on the surface, you know, activate cells through cytokines, the, the deeper cells in the dermis, and then in return they activate the collagen elastin fibers. So the skin actually over time can become a bit thicker in the dermis, which is which is good. But but on the contrary, the superficial skin, you know, the epidermis actually can become thinner. So if you overuse a retinol product and you're over exfoliating the skin, the epidermal skin is what becomes thinner. And that's sort of our barrier, you know, from the the outside world. So of course, you know, I'm sure all estheticians, if they have their clients on retinol, have them on a super strong (laughs) sunblock, right? Make sure that they, you know, wear a good sunblock. And if they do find that the skin is becoming rough and dry and red and and, and inflamed, you know, just cut it down a little bit, cut it down to where the skin isn't reacting like that. But it it more so has a kind of a plumpness and a smoothness and a a softening of lines, but it still looks really hydrated. Then, then, you know, you're on the right track with the retinol. 
Yeah, and especially since you're talking about sunscreen, Michelle, I feel like that neck and even moving down to the decollete, that's an area that gets so much sun exposure, especially for if we're putting sunscreen on, you know, kind of after we get dressed and then we're going about our day and our t-shirt is maybe moving around. It's an area that gets um, a lot of damage from UVA and UVB rays. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to people, you know, everybody, we all, men and women alike, we all will apply sunblock to our face and hopefully to the backs of our ears. And if we're, you know, we have a shaven head or maybe for men who are losing their hair to make sure they apply the sunblock on the the spots of their head. I see a lot of uh, people, especially older men, like Fitzpatrick Mm -hmm. one, two, and three, they'll come in and you start to see them develop um, solar keratosis. And then in some cases, very rarely, but in some cases that can go to basal cell or squamous cell carcinoma. So it's really good to apply sunblock there. But even the neck and the decollete, you you want to apply a sunblock that doesn't feel really greasy, you know, that might not, that hopefully won't stain your clothes that feels light on the skin and that can last for for some hours so you know before reapplication the good thing is too is if you're covering your decollete you probably don't need to apply as much sunblock but the neck you know usually where our neck is exposed to the environment so you need to apply it to the neck area right i always think about that because you know i've i've been really good about face and neck sunscreen but bringing it down to my decollete for some reason, even though I'm an esthetician and I'm, and I know better, um, has been just taking a little more work than the rest of it. So how would you, how would you say to, um, to treat the, the decollete skin? Is it, is it like a similar process to the neck being more sensitive than the rest of the face? Yeah. So it seems like when you look at the, the, the face, you know, from like forehead all the way down, all the way down to the decollete, you look at all the different parts of, of the body in that area, the high area typically is tends to be the most thin and often the most sensitive. Um, and also the neck, those two. And then I would say the, the decollete tends to be a little bit um, more sensitive to, than the facial area. And if you're going to treat you know, the decollete in the face in the same treatment, which most of us do, right? Uh, You still want to think about these two areas a little bit differently. So if you're going to do like a peel or a microderm or anything like that, you probably want to be a little bit more gentle on the decollete. It would seem like the decollete, right, would be tougher because it's, you know, it's part of the body skin. and But it's actually, even if you feel it, like you just kind of grab a hold of the decollete skin and, and pinch it, you can see it is thinner. And it does tend to be more re- reactive, mm. um, but it still needs the same attention. So you still want to do, you know, an exfoliation, you know, masking and everything that you do to the face. You just want to be aware that it might be a little bit more sensitive and reactive to some of the more aggressive treatments. I think massage is probably something that is worth while talking about um, just because it can be so effective in terms of toning the the skin. And I think it's something that gets overlooked and almost put in that category of just being, you know, like a fluffy thing. But I think massage, and I know Michelle, you do a lot of body work. So maybe we, that, maybe you can speak to um, kind of the effects of massage on the body and how it can strengthen the skin. 
Yeah, so massage is definitely my favorite thing, both to give and to receive. Um, and I, I think most people love massage. I very, I know very few of my clients don't like massage. Maybe I know one client actually of hundreds don't, don't actually prefer massage, but, um, I think that massage is, is so therapeutic, you know, first of all, um, just how it feels. It's relaxing. It's soothing. You know, when you're massaging, you're also releasing, um, if you're massaging, like say the, the shoulders or the neck and you're massaging like a petrissage massage and kind of deeply, you could actually release or how the clients will release endorphins, which kind of gives you sort of that, like that natural kind of high feeling. And then later they release serotonin, which gives them that really relaxed sort of calming feeling. So massage is actually activating neurotransmitters in the brain when you're, when you're doing it correctly. And then even when you're doing the light, you know, we all know the light effleurage massage, it Mm -hmm. increases circulation to the skin, which we know, right? It brings circulation, which brings blood and nutrients and oxygen, Mm -hmm. um, or the blood, I should say, brings the oxygen, nutrients and water to the skin, which we, we need for, um, for, for nourishment of the skin. It's also great because products can penetrate better when the skin's been heated up a little bit. And then muscles have a way of um, becoming, you know, just with our stressful world, very tight. We get a lot of tight muscle fibers and uh, muscles generally um, will release uh, naturally CO2. But when you have muscles that are really tight, like we're all holding ourselves in this same position for a long time and you get the like the tight muscle fibers and you go over them and they kind of you can feel the knots in in the uh, muscles the muscle actually in that case doesn't release co2 naturally releases it produces lactic acid so everyone's heard of lactic acid of course but when you and that's a byproduct of um, anaerobic respiration which means it's it's not it happens but you want the muscle to release co2 <laughs> not so much lactic acid so if when you're doing really good massage on a tight neck or tight shoulders, you increase oxygen to that area. And so the muscle then is no longer in sort of this anaerobic respiration state. It's actually in a respiration state. It's getting oxygen. So that's good. That's great. And then it releases a lot of that lactic acid. And it also releases the, those tight muscle fibers. And so you'll start to feel like those you know, knots in your in your fingers just really soften up. So yeah, massage is, is wonderful on so many levels. And um, even though I do a lot of corrective skincare treatments, and that's what I focus on in almost every treatment I do, I'd say 99% of the treatments I do, everybody gets a massage. Everybody gets a, mm-hmm. a face and shoulder decote, and sometimes even a scalp massage, because that's mm-hmm. really what they, <laughs> that's part of what brings them back. Yeah, yeah, bringing, bringing that blood flow to the area. I think that's a, in a big I think bonus of massages, like you said, Michelle, those endorphins and somebody getting off your treatment table, just feeling so much lighter and, and happier. So I feel like that alone is worth the treatment. Yeah. And, and I've done massage for you too, right, Tess? So you, yeah, you kind of yeah. have an idea of like, so when, you know, yes. when we do a, a facial, we, there's always that massage there, even if it's just, if you're doing a corrective skincare treatment, unless massage is contraindicated, you know, like it's a peel right. and acne treatment. But if, you know, you can always massage something, you know, you don't have to massage the face. It could be the neck or maybe even the hand. Often that's an additional 
um, you know, service, but you, you can always offer it to people and they leave so much lighter and happier. And, you know, they, they, they feel they look better. They feel better. It's a, it's a great thing. Absolutely. Um, touching on the hands, I want to make sure we cover that since you brought up treating the hands. I know that's a big concern for people and maybe we can talk about somebody who is at, you know, the complete like extreme end of the spectrum when they're, I've had clients who are big on gardening and just like, you know, really doing like manual labor, abusing their hands. Maybe they're outside a lot. Do you have any recommendations for, for how to treat the hands? Yeah. And especially now I'm having a lot of people say, you know, my hands are so dry because I just keep using hand sanitizer and cleansing them with soap. And so, you know, those things can be very, very um, alkaline and strip the acid mantle and the skin, of course, becomes dry really quickly. Um, So I actually have started producing um, hand sanitizers. They're not obviously certified or anything, but um, just with a combination of, and this is just mostly for my, you know, my own use or maybe my client's use of, of taking a, a bottle, a glass bottle, and, you know, if anyone wants to do something like this and, and adding a little bit, maybe like 20 or 30% alcohol, some witch hazel, some aloe vera, and maybe like a couple of drops of your favorite essential oil. And that's really germicidal. Now, again, it probably is not as, as strong as the handbot um, hand sanitizers, but at least it will, if you know, if you just need a little, little sanitation, a little spritz, that, that's, uh, that could be helpful. But for hands and dry hands, definitely um, protecting the, the acid mantle. And that would mean, you know, lots of, uh, or making sure that when you use a lot of soap and water that you moisturize afterwards. Uh, first of all, to reestablish pH, hopefully the moisturizer is pH balanced. And then secondly, also to protect the, you know, maybe something with ceramides to protect that lipid barrier. That's really important. Um, and that's just like something that we should do every day. I notice, you know, even with my own hands as I get older, you know, I don't hold the moisture in the skin like I used to. So using moisturizers that contain hyaluronic acid ingredients, maybe in a liposomal delivery system, um, more oils, you know, essential oils, or maybe mixing essential oils into um, a, a moisturizer. And then for treatments like in clinic or in spa treatments, you could even do hand peels. You know, you could yeah. do hand microdermabrasion, just like you do it for the face. You could do it for the hands. Um, the backs of the hands mostly need it, not so much the palm of the hand, but definitely the backs of the hands can use a peel. And when you're done with the peel, you know, something super moisturizing. And if you use something really moisturizing and do sort of the paraffin, the sanitary paraffin hand dips, the paraffin really helps to heat and it increases the moisture delivery. So the paraffin by itself is not necessarily a moisturizer. But if you have a moisturizer on your hands and then you dip your hands, that paraffin kind of cocoons, you know, in its heat. So it helps that moisturizer penetrate a lot more deeply. And the heat from the paraffin is really good for anybody who has, you know, some discomfort or pain and it increases circulation. It helps to increase the, the product penetration. So that's something else that's very beneficial. Um, but yeah, really considering, I mean, our hands get so much abuse I mean, every day, everybody. 
So you want to think about your hands and, and think about moisturizing. And sunblock too, because you know, start to get those solar lentigo spots, the sunspots after a while, and that's caused by the sun. So after you moisturize in the morning, well, um, uh, you want to apply, you know, sunblock to the hands. I think back to the hands. That is that is something I'm also so aware of that needs to be more of a thing. I think it's really difficult with the hand washing to keep applying sunscreen, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's so many ways around that, whether it's just, you know, having driving gloves in your car perhaps, or maybe applying a little bit of like a mineral powder in the car or just having something easily accessible that you'll apply after you wash your hands throughout the day. Yeah, that's a really great idea. And I think all of us forget to, we remember to wash and you know, remember to sanitize and then we forget to moisturize and we forget to protect. So all of those things are, I think are great. Wearing maybe cotton gloves, you know, like a, um, a mineral um, sunblock. That's a, a really good idea. Right. So one other area of the body that we wanted to ask about, Michelle, was the back. And we get, you know, as estheticians, we see a lot of people who break out on their backs, their shoulders, um, you know, different areas just kind of on the back side of the body. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Like, is there a specific way that you like to treat that? Or kind of how do you go about diagnosing and, and treating somebody who's breaking out um, on their back? So yeah, back is a really interesting, um, you know, the skin there is is thicker. The skin on the back is probably the, the thickest skin on the body next to the buttocks. So that's a really thick skin. It also has really deep follicles. The hair follicles are very deep in the back area. So there is a lot of room for congestion to build up. And of course, we all know when someone has congestion and that follicle becomes infected, they have a pimple. So um, the way I treat the back and I do do back treatments and back facials is um, pretty much the same way as the face, you know, starting out with the cleansing and doing an exfoliation, or if they are not having a full back facial and just a peel, it would be a cleansing and then a peel made for the back area. If this person is super, super oily, um, I would use probably something that contains some salicylic acid if they're not allergic to, to aspirin. If the back is maybe not so oily, but there's still some breakouts, you know, lactic acid or glycolic acid, and there's a whole group of different cocktail peels out there. But just with that, that exfoliation is, is so great to clear the follicles. Mm. And then I'll generally, of course, probably not do a massage if they've got acne or breakouts, but then maybe come in with the blue LED if you have a blue LED to create oxygen and to help, you know, kill some of that propionic bacteria and then also calm the skin down and then come in maybe with some high frequency as well. And then a mask, a mask the back and uh, use some type of, depending upon what the condition is um, and, and what type of mask you have, you know, some uh, appropriate for the skin. I'll usually use a tea tree, um, it's a hyaluronic acid mask that I make with tea tree essential oils in it. So it's hydrating and it's also antiseptic at the same time. And then I'll take it off and, you know, apply depending upon if the person is going into the sun or not. I, I may or may not use a sunblock. Unfortunately, sunblocks are not always acne's best friend and they can be congestive. So if, you know, if the mm-hmm. client's not going into the sun, I probably won't use a sunblock on, on their back. Um, but yeah, the, the exfoliation, um, 
technique and the process I, I do on the face is similar to what I do for the back. The same with the modalities of blue LED and um, high frequency. Um, sometimes I find that a lot of my um, male clients, especially those that play a lot of sports and maybe don't use a toner or take a you know, shower right afterwards, mm -hmm. they build up a lot of congestion and they start to get the, the breakouts that I call it, uh, it's not really a pomade acne, but it's an acne as a result of more of the um, congestion produced by their own oil and a combination of their oil and sweat. So I always tell, you know, anyone that's working out, you know, make sure that you use a toner on your back afterwards to break up some of the oil, flush out the follicle, even a witch hazel, like just a simple witch hazel would be better, you know, would be better than nothing. Yeah, I think especially for athletes or people who work out, um, having that exercise and the sweat plus, you know, the friction from fabric, maybe a t-shirt in the back area or mm -hmm. a hat on the forehead area or a sports bra on the chest area. I think those are definitely areas to be mindful of. Absolutely. It's wherever you have, you know, a piece of clothing over the top and the, the oil is uh, secreting into that clothing, but then it's being reabsorbed because you have a clothing on or sometimes even just the friction from the clothing, the friction from the clothing can stimulate the oil glands and the, the clothing itself is blocking, you know, blocking the mouth of the follicle. So you have this buildup of congestion. So yeah, absolutely. We want to remove that article of clothing and really clean well underneath it. You know, really use some kind of a toner to absorb the, the, the oil underneath it. Well, perfect. So well said. Michelle, before we wrap up, are there any other areas we haven't talked about you feel are important? Ah, well, it's all the skin is important. I mean, we probably didn't. I know that <laughs> the feet is more, you know, that's something that a lot of the manicurists and pedicurists um, will work on and deal with. And that's something that's not always in the scope of every esthetician's practice. However, if it is within the scope of their practice, the feet area can mm. always use a good, we all know that, like a good exfoliation, um, a massage, exfoliate, you know, exfoliate the skin, massage the skin. But I know that is something that manicures and, and pedicures do so well that it's not something that we usually deal with too much. Right. I know at the spot I work at, it's just a light massage, but I think it does help to bring blood flow to that area of the body. So it feels like a really complete service. It, exactly. So if you are doing, you know, just the, the back or maybe you're doing a, a leg, believe it or not, a lot of estheticians will do like a leg peel. You know, mm. uh, I've done um, chemical peels on the thighs for people who have maybe some folliculitis there, or yeah. I've even done chemical peels on the buttocks, you know, for people who have folliculitis there or PIH there. So mm. wherever you've got epithelial tissue, of course, not the squamous tissue, like the lips or the too mm. close to some mm. of these private areas. But yeah, the, it, when you do massage the feet or work on the feet, it's almost like it kind of just wraps up the package and it's, it's great. It's all really good. But if you're working with manicurists and, um, you know, they're doing pedicures, that's usually their area of expertise. So I typically will leave that up for them. Well, perfect. Okay. I think that's a great place to wrap up now that we've kind of gone through the whole 
whole body <laughs> the feet. that's just um, a short overview on all the different body parts and yeah the, it's good to really just remember that the skin is different in different areas and the skin ages all over and you know it could break out anywhere yes. so it's great that you covered this because it just sort of opens everyone's yeah. eyes to that and makes you know remember next time we're treating clients to maybe off their having a facial right to just offer them yeah. a back facial or you know a decollete peel or maybe you know how you get the backs of the arms sometimes people have the keratosis pilaris at the backs of the arms right, chicken skin right. Yeah, yes. doing like a chemical peel back there. Um, I prefer doing a chemical peel rather than a microderm because I find the, the microderm sometimes can can make it a little bit. It knocks the bumps off initially, but sometimes can trigger a little bit of a reaction. So if I do a, a peel on the backs of the arms, really, really smooths it out. It makes the skin look brighter and smoother and more hydrated. So I think this is a good topic because yeah. I think a lot of people... Um, in general, whether they're a client or esthetician, we forget about, you know, the skin is covers the entire body, not just the face and the, and the neck. Exactly. And it's, it, it varies so much just depending on the area of the skin. So just keeping that in mind, it's not all created equal and not like you can treat every area of the body the same as the face. So I think this was wonderful. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. You're welcome. It's always great to be here with both of you. Of course. I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back in the near future. Where can people Thank find you. you if they want more resources or they want to reach out um, to you? Yeah, so you can always um, email me. At, I'm probably, test. you'll put this in the, yeah, um, yeah it, it concepts, um, I, I could spell it. So it's C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S. MMP, so that would be like Michelle, Michelle, Paul. So concepts MMP at gmail.com. You can, yeah. you can email me if you have a question, or you could even go to Concepts Institute of Advanced Aesthetics uh, website and then see a whole um, array of uh, classes there too, both virtual and um, live classes. And the classes are amazing, you guys. I always recommend Michelle's classes because I've learned so much from taking, I've probably taken five or six classes with you, Michelle, but it's, they're just I incredible. So, yeah. yeah, because Thank I you. think in esthetician school, it's really, we cover the basics and taking Michelle's classes has really broadened, I think, my understanding of the skin. And she's so great at balancing kind of the science and the physiology of the skin with just making it a fun and enjoyable class. So highly, highly recommend. And we will leave all of that information in the show notes Thank you, everybody, Great. for listening. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Michelle. And we will talk to everybody in the next episode. Mm-hmm.